Welcome to another episode of Talking Fast, a Gilmore Girls podcast. I'm Suzanne. And I'm Alexis. And we're two longtime fans of the show, excited to rewatch and recap it along the way. This week we are recapping Gilmore Girls Season 3, Episode 19, titled Keg Max, <laughs> or just Keg Max. The Netflix bio for this episode is, Rory makes plans to attend the prom. Lane's rock band debuts at a big party where long-standing animosities finally explode. Dun, dun, dun. dun, dun, dun. <laughs> the one we've been waiting for, or dreading. Yeah. <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> um, before we get into this juicy episode, don't forget about our sticker giveaway. It's still going on. To enter, write us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and send us a screenshot to talkingfastpodcast at gmail.com with your uh, mailing address and we'll send you a sticker you can also find us on patreon now where you can listen at free to our episodes and you can also just generally support us for our five dollar tier that we call the gazebo club all right what were your (laughs) large picture thoughts on this episode (laughs) this episode has been looming over us for weeks now i'm pretty excited to talk about it there's a lot that happens And I also just have to say that the party reminds me so much of the party in 10 Things I Hate About You. Mm. And I just like, I can't get it out of my head every time I see it, (laughs) especially with the like anxious hosts trying to protect valuables and stuff. So I love it. It's uh, controversial. Got some good stuff. Lots of drama. How did you feel about it? (laughs) I I have very mixed feelings about the episode I think it's really hard for me to separate like the feeling of anxious Mm -hmm. dread knowing what happens from the actual episode itself you know but I yeah I would say it's one that I did not enjoy but one that I look forward to talking about Mm -hmm. yeah (laughs) yeah we'll see what I we'll see how I feel by the end but I also just had a few questions about the decisions in the episode as well from a like a writing level so Mm -hmm. we'll get into it (laughs) yeah yeah I think we've got a lot to say Mm -hmm. I also just have to warn everybody I might make more 10 things I hate about you references because there's (laughs) a lot (laughs) that this episode has that reminds me of that yeah I welcome the 10 things I hate about you references oh good okay before we get in our, into our recap and our references, we will do our Talking Fast segment, and we'll see how it goes. <laughs> okay. I think you are first. Yeah. I'm probably going to get confused myself a lot, trying to go back and forth. <laughs> yeah. For some reason, I don't feel confident about this one either. Yeah. All right. On your mark, get set, Go. So Rory and Lorelai are adjusting to no Friday night dinners. And also Lorelai is being asked to come back to the booster club at the end of the year. She's kind of given some grief about not participating at all. Um, So she's got that to do. They're planning a yacht party with the booster club and Max is there. So Lorelai is conflicted about that. Meanwhile, the band is about to do their first gig at a party uh, put on by Kyle and a uh, Rory and Jess have a little uh, big. Uh, uh, <laughs> I'm so sorry. Uh-oh. That went badly. <laughs> it's okay. okay. <laughs> Are you prepared? I guess so, yeah. <laughs> okay. Ready, set, go. 
The band has their first gig, which is a major storyline. It's at Kyle's party. That is where relationship drama unfolds between Lane and Dave. They have young Chew problems, and Lane is stressed and drinks beer and calls her mom, which is bad. Meanwhile, Rory and Jess are having a bad time because Jess is moody because he learned he can't graduate this year or go to the prom. So he doesn't communicate it and just tries to get with Rory, and she's not happy, so she runs away. And then Dean starts a fight with Jess. Oh, okay. Well, I, I thought like, I would like start where you left off. <laughs> yeah, that was a good strategy because I got the Lorelai stuff. You got the party stuff. Yeah. We did okay together. <laughs> that was tricky, actually. Yeah, so much. After like we had the Poe episode that was fun, but not super juicy, I guess. Then last week's wasn't wasn't the most juicy either. And then we have this one. I like that our choice um, adjective for dramatic episodes is juicy. <laughs> <laughs> like the other ones are dry or I don't yeah, know. <laughs> I don't know where that came from. I think it's fitting though. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, to get into our recap and slow down, it's interesting that we begin with a Friday night without the dinner we've never Mm -hmm. really existed in this reality in the show before and we are I mean at least I felt as shaken by that as Rory and Lorelai do in the scene they have no clue what to do with their Fridays or what they used to do on Fridays before this whole arrangement and I just liked that they acknowledged the magnitude of this new Mm -hmm. world that they're temporarily in you know yeah. Meanwhile, Richard and Emily seem to be having a fine time. I love <laughs> They're that. They're having a party. I have a feeling Emily, like, she definitely planned it just mm-hmm. so that on the off chance Rory called or something, they have something to say that they were doing. Right. They bounce back quickly. It's like when yeah. you want to quote unquote win a breakup and you just mm-hmm. want to be seen doing better than the other person. Like, look at what you're missing out on. That's this here, but like the family breakup. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So we're not going to get any Richard or Emily drama, but we've got plenty of other stuff. Yeah. It's in the background. It's on the back burner. Like it's always Mm -hmm. there for you if you want it, but (laughs) you can focus on the front burners (laughs) for this episode. (laughs) Yeah. After the cold open, we go to Luke's where we have a kind of a weird little scene. Um, Lorelai has a digital camera that does not come up ever again in the episode. Yeah. And she's like taking pictures of people and being really obnoxious about it. She takes a really bad picture of Luke and he complains about the bad angle and stuff. And then we also get a letter from Chilton asking Lorelai to come and do her duty with the Booster Club because she's been, she's had, what was it, a paucity of involvement or something like that (laughs) i've got you because i made this my just sass attack i love the um threatening language in the chilton letter which was previous paucity of participation and she's like they got me with the alliteration and i am Mm -hmm. a sucker for alliteration so i just love this passive aggressive leaning more toward aggressive with like three underlines underneath words uh threatening her to come to the booster club and 
I like that she learned she's not free, even though Rory is accepted to Yale because they still have things like graduation. And I remember I was shocked in high school to learn that you only get like the holder for your diploma. Mm -hmm. You don't actually get it at the event. And for us, they were worried about us like throwing our caps in the air. And they said you wouldn't get your actual diploma if you didn't bring your cap back. And so, yeah, I felt like, oh, yeah, the threat of something like that, like holding the diploma is real and something that schools do. So, yeah, it was a very sassy letter that I appreciated the language of, but the meaning of is a little like, come on. (laughs) Yeah. Also, like, what buzz kills? You couldn't throw your hats. That's just... Yeah. (sighs) I don't remember. I don't think we had any rules like that at my graduation, but I was also just, like, so ready to get out of there. I wasn't really doing anything. (laughs) I think some people still did, of course, but Mm -hmm. you you had to go find it was the consequence of that, really. (laughs) Yeah. Don't knock anybody out. How do you feel about the inclusion of like another booster plot line here? I've, I'll just, I feel like I'm asking a leading question. So I'll just like <laughs> cue in what I feel like. It's like how else to get Max and Lorelai mm-hmm. back together, yeah. I feel. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like they're really, I also don't think there was really any reason to have another Max episode. But maybe it was just like without that Lorelai storyline her she would be kind of missing from this episode because then she had the like stuff at the inn and with Luke and Nicole but it would have been kind of sparse for her otherwise and I do kind of like the scene between her and Max but I I do appreciate the closure and a sort of send-off scene with the actor especially since it was so abrupt the -hmm. last time and I can only imagine that Perhaps the actor was available, so they wanted to, like, provide him two episodes, like, to come back and, oh, it's not just a one-time thing. Like, we'll put you in two. I'm not sure what went on behind the scenes there. Since she's put him in, you know, Maisel, I imagine that she likes the actor. Mm -hmm. ASP, I mean. But, yeah, I just, it was like, oh, the return of the threatening boosters felt a little, been there, done that, like, to kind of echo how you felt last episode about the whole... Emily, I mean, the whole family drama kind of repeating itself. It's like, oh, Lorelai, got to participate one last time. (laughs) Yeah. But yeah, I shouldn't, you know, get too worked up on it. I do understand a necessity for like, we got to get places. So we have to make storylines for things. (laughs) I wish that they'd at least had the same cast from the first booster stuff. Because yeah. This, the leading lady in this meeting was good, but she didn't have the same kind of bite as the previous one. I think it would have, like, made it feel more meaningful as well if it Mm -hmm. was the same boosters. And then it could continue things they had said before. Like, there was the one young wife who just married Mm -hmm. the guy. They were kind of judging her. There's one of them, like, went on a date with Luke, right? Like, (laughs) oh, yeah. It could have actually been really interesting. Yeah, that's but I, true. I do understand like those were random side actors like who knows where they are now. The logistics of that are probably tricky, but I do feel like it would have had a bigger payoff if mm-hmm. it had been the same boosters. Yeah, we didn't even get names of the boosters in this episode, Except I think. Doug. <laughs> yeah, poor Doug. <laughs> but also not not too poor. 
Yeah. <laughs> well, we'll talk a little bit more about the boosters later on. But for now, later in the day, Rory and Jess are watching the band practice. I still say the band because they haven't decided mm-hmm. on a name, but they are throwing around some possibilities in this scene. And my Rory's bookshelf goes to Brian wanting to name the band the Harry Potters. Oh and <laughs> I don't so really want to like, I know, I don't really want to go on too much about this because I have like a very complicated relationship mm-hmm. with Harry Potter in the current day. But I do think it was interesting that I guess I don't think of like Gilmore Girls and Harry Potter in the same context. So this kind of reminded me like, oh, yeah, this like is in a timeline where those books were coming out. And it was earlier on in that whole fandom and whatnot. And it just makes me laugh to think that Brian wouldn't think they would be like sued out the wazoo (laughs) if they named their band the Harry Potters. Anyway, that's just it was it was a funny reference to me and it made me think, Oh, yeah, and I'm sure earlier me watching Gilmore Girls would have been like, oh, my God, my whole personality, so. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. I know, me too. Alas, the things that happened. (laughs) Yeah, I liked liked that their their ongoing problem with finding a name, I feel like that's super realistic for a lot of bands. Mm -hmm. Um, Also, Zach keeps having the weirdest name suggestions. They're all super long. It kind of makes me wonder whether he's ever listened to music before or <laughs> heard of any bands before. Like, you kind of want to stick with one to two words for your band title. Yeah. <laughs> um, but we also find out that they have their first gig coming up. Lane talks about her plan to get there, which involves Young Chu. So we know that that's going to be a bit of drama because we haven't really addressed the fact that he's in love with her yet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and Dave, like, at this point, we don't really see much reaction from him, but I think it's, he's got, like, great kind of, like, jealous face later on in the episode while also being super stoic. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just good acting skills there. Yeah, I agree. As Jess and Rory walk away, um, we also find out that Rory is expecting... Her and Jess to kind of double date with Lane and Dave to the prom, which is the first we're really hearing of them going to the prom. Like, we knew that Dave and Lane wanted to go to the prom. Yeah. But Jess and Rory, and it seems like Rory's already done all the work of convincing him to go, and he just needs to get tickets now. It's kind of surprising to me. Yeah, it's pretty, it's a sudden drop in of something that, seems to have happened like you already said she's already Mm -hmm. convinced him to go and it was like oh when when did this happen since when has Rory cared so much about the prom and like stars hollows prom yeah if we'd seen a conversation between Rory and Lane talking Mm -hmm. about how they always wanted to go to prom together that might have sold this a little more convincingly but I wasn't too like it's like oh yeah girl wants to go to prom with boyfriend like fairly typical storyline so it's not like mm-hmm. it shocked me but I wasn't in awe of it I guess I don't know I feel like I'm yeah. being critical <laughs> no I agree it was kind of like rehashing the dance stuff with Dean in the past but also like really the only w- way it makes sense for Rory really to be invested in going to the Stars Hollow prom is because of Lane 
Mm-hmm. And so they must, yeah, they must have had like a pact or something. And we should have seen that a long time ago. <laughs> yeah, they even had the repeat of like Rory saying, oh, I'm so sorry you have to wear a tux like she did with mm-hmm. Dean. And she convinced Dean it was cool because she referenced some musician or actor or something mm-hmm. like that. And that's what Jess says on his own here saying like, oh, it's James Bond. It's okay. So <laughs> I'm like, yeah, deja vu with convincing the teenage boy suits are cool. <laughs> yeah. I wonder what, obviously we don't get them going to the prom together, but that would have been such a cool scene to see the four of them at prom. Yeah, it kind of made me wonder if ASP did want to do a prom, you know, mm-hmm. kind of like the dance marathon or something I feel like prom's a very classic TV thing for drama to happen. That's true. And then it does not happen, (laughs) which is an interesting thing. I wonder... hmm, We can talk more about it later on. I just wonder how much of their attention was also on the Jess spinoff at this point. Mm -hmm. And if we could connect that also to some of our complaints about other storylines in the past few episodes where we're like... They don't feel fully formed or there to our liking. Mm -hmm. And this is when they were kind of probably splitting like their focus and production and things like that to go film that. So, yeah, that's true. Yeah, I hadn't thought of that before. Mm. So, after this little setup scene, we're at the inn where Lorelai has been having to lay people off because of like diminished business after the fire and then we get this scene that has come up in like interviews and stuff before for scott patterson we Mm -hmm. um he luke is on the ground fixing the stove and so he explains that she had like let lean down to check on it to see what he was looking at and realized afterwards that her hand had been on his butt for a long time and so then Lorelai and Suki kind of go into this whole uh, admiration of Luke's butt. And mm-hmm. Scott Patterson has said that he felt like super kind of uh, objectified in this scene and he really didn't didn't like taking part in this scene. And I think that's something we never really consider when it has to do with men. We often consider how women are objectified and that might just be our perspective as women Mm -hmm. but we don't often think of how men are object objectified and like the the female gaze of it all yeah and I feel bad for him like part of me also kind of wants to like scoff it off but I also think it's 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 how he felt it's it's serious you know he should have had some sort of say I think in what happened if he was uncomfortable with it. I think with intimacy coordinators and stuff on set these days, maybe something would have changed, but I don't know. How did you feel about that? I think I, my, my like gut reaction is to scoff it off (laughs) because Mm -hmm. of, well, I read about it in Entertainment Weekly. So I think it's an article where they're like talking about his interview. Like I'm guessing they're writing about these comments he probably was talking about this on his podcast and so someone Mm -hmm. wrote an article grabbing the quotes and whatnot and they're like pull quote 
at the top of the article is Patterson saying, somebody had to pay the price for that and I'm still <laughs> paying the price for it. And you, when you read that, you think about like, oh my God, what was the scene? And then you see it and he's wearing like the baggiest jeans mm-hmm. ever. Like You can't even the see cam- outline of yeah, a cheek or anything. You can't. <laughs> the camera's like, uh, he's laying down and the camera like is pretty far away like him. Mm-hmm. So visually, I don't feel like they do much to objectify him. And it's more so the comments between Suki and Lorelai, which is fair. You know, it's fair. Mm-hmm. They're definitely objectifying him. But I think I'm just so like, um, what's the word I would want to go for? Jaded or just desensitized mm-hmm. from the TV I've seen. <laughs> like, I don't know, yeah. Game of Thrones, just to name one example among many where I have seen just far and between so much worse with like mm-hmm. femme actors and whatnot. So it's not necessarily fair of me to be like, um, the guys don't have it hard too. And I really like that you point out that there is the double standard of not considering the other side. But for <laughs> it just feels so dramatic and overblown yeah. for Scott Patterson to be saying this in this way. And um, there's a couple more. Uh, comments from him he says it was disturbing um it is infuriating because you're being treated like an object it's disturbing disgusting I had to endure through that entire scene in many takes it was the most disturbing time I ever spent on that set I couldn't wait for that day to be over and he said he felt like some kind of a meat stick and it was in front of like the creator and people filming and he felt humiliated and um just because it was 2003 didn't mean it was okay. It's never okay. Um, he said, I was never so angry. And then at one point he does say, it's disgust- It's as disgusting for women to objectify men as it is for men to objectify women. And it's as harmful. So amidst all of this, like he does sort of acknowledge the fact that women are objectified. But I feel like he does, he kind of like, glosses over that and is yeah. focusing more on his experience and I which is fine but like it's just the words that he uses to then describe what that scene is it's just like <laughs> what are you talking about and then it's like I don't know it's like sometimes when you have your first like awakening moment like this was a consciousness thing for him he was like oh my gosh being objectified is awful <laughs> and it is and I respect his you know like feelings about that but then he didn't take it any further you know like to consider how even other actors within Gilmore Girls have had it much harder repeatedly or had that be their whole storyline like Shane or something like that Mm -hmm. and I don't know I just I had I just rolled my eyes so much reading that article yeah I also like it's it's great that he points out that women are also objectified but I kind of want to push back on the idea that that's an equal thing when men are objectified and women are objectified because when women are objectified there's also often a danger for the women there's a lot more predatoriness and like real actual threat for women when they're objectified and like you know uh I remember when Emma Watson was like turning 18 and people were so excited she was going to be legal now Mm -hmm. And it just, like, drives home the fact that 
not only were people objectifying her, but they were also objectifying her as a minor and imagining what they could do to her. And I'm sure that there were some people who tried to do things to her and other female actresses out there or like people in the public eye um, and just normal women in general. So I'm not Mm -hmm. saying that it's it's not a big deal that he felt objectified like that really sucks. But there was never really a physical threat to him by being objectified and that is a difference that like needs to be acknowledged even if it wasn't the focus of that piece or often when people are talking about like objectification they kind of forget about the fact that objectification can also lead to physical threats of sexual assault and stuff towards women and it often does yeah that's really good to bring up as well I think like as a whole his take just lacks so much nuance Mm -hmm. (laughs) and a lot of different arenas um and the last quote I'll pull um to make a point as well um is when he's talking about how it felt personally demeaning as an actor and he's talking about how he got like a big break on the show and he wants to rise up to the top of the profession and how everybody wants to do that you want to rise up and be respected and he says they want to win awards they want to be recognized for their work and I end up doing a scene where people are talking about my butt and it said censored (laughs) before scene so maybe he said fucking scene or something Mm -hmm. but this is another great way to point out like the disparity I guess in like film and tv of He's recognizing here like, oh, if you get the kind of part where it's all about like your butt, you don't get to like rise in the profession and be get awards in the same way. And it's like there's just whole groups of like so many people have that experience, you know, Mm -hmm. like so many people you're like, you're not James Bond, you're the James Bond girl, you know, and that person doesn't get. uh, So, yeah, I don't know. It's just like he's there. And you just need to take it one more step, Scott, and then you've got yourself a critique and you're doing a Friday night dinner critique, you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So to sum it up, we feel bad for him that he felt this way. But at the same time, like put your like it's it's not just put yourself in other people's shoes. It's also like realize that you can never be in other people's shoes mm-hmm. because of your own life experience and to be feeling objectified for the first time at what like 35 or whatever is quite a privilege like (laughs) yeah (laughs) so much more yeah yeah that's you know I was just watching some like TikTok or something that was like one of those celebrity read tweet reads tweets about themselves and it was Mm -hmm. Henry Cavill having to read off all of these tweets of like people just saying like the things they would let him do to them and it was just like Mm so I it I it just felt so gross but it's, it's, yeah, I don't even want to know what a lot of women have to hear or see people saying about themselves. Yeah, I think I'd, I don't want to like have us, I don't want to stay with this for too long, mm-hmm. but I just one last example. I feel like Taylor Lautner's experience in the Twilight franchise is another mm-hmm. great example of a male actor like receiving so much objectification and the what like he had to do to his body to keep the role between twilight and new moon and like how much that must have impacted him and his Mm -hmm. body image and all sorts of stuff like 
And what Try people have that, said to Scott him Patterson. Then. Like he never once got to wear a shirt yeah. in those movies. Like talk to <laughs> yeah. me then, okay? Like I don't really feel that bad for him. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> Taylor Laudner was still a teenager at the time, you know. So right. So yeah, <laughs> yeah I don't really feel that bad for Scott Patterson in the end. Yeah. This might impact like if I'll ever come on our show. So I'm sorry, but I gotta speak the truth. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh. And that, that was my Friday night dinner critique, I decided. Okay, nice. Because, like, we'll have a lot to critique later on, mm-hmm. and I just wanted to do another thing as well as that. A meta commentary. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, to return to the episode. One last thing that happens at the end that is the first part of my two-part Stars Hollow moment. <laughs> Lovely. <laughs> Which is... Michelle wasn't able to fire Frank because he finds out (laughs) Frank fosters chow chow puppies. And then Michelle, just without ceremony, talks about how he adopted two of them. And they will reappear many times throughout the rest of the series. And it it just was, I just loved seeing this grumpy, grumpy Gus kind of melt over his furry animals. Right. He goes soft (laughs) for the animals. Yeah. (laughs) All right, from here, Lorelai heads to the Booster Club meeting. As we said before, like, I think this would have packed a bigger punch if it was the same people. But I also wanted to, like, complain (laughs) about the fact that when Max shows up, the reason is that he's a faculty advisor. Mm -hmm. But I don't recall that ever being a thing (laughs) the last time we had the Booster Club. (laughs) And... That was, you know, my complaint about this scene. But overall, uh, we learned that Lorelai and another guy, Doug, haven't been involved enough. So she's stuck being the treasurer and he has to be a chaperone. And yeah, I don't know. Is there anything else to say about the Booster Club meeting? I did have my Lorelai's closet in this scene because I just kind of forgot to pay attention to the clothes the rest of the episode. But (laughs) I liked her shirt that she had on. It was like a kind of patchwork of different cloths that were all red or blue, and I really liked it. It was very 2000s and looked very cute. Uh, Mm -hmm. Yeah, other than that, Max was as cool as a cucumber. Lorelai was panicking. (laughs) I guess also on the Max front, the question is, is he back teaching at Chilton? Like, Mm -hmm. right before the year ends like he was supposedly teaching at Sanford when did their semester end and I know high school often goes later than college but like not that much so why would he just join back as a teacher and he says he's got like essays to grade later so I just am not convinced by that either (laughs) yeah it kind of seems like he came back like when we saw him last he had just started back but Rory had never said anything about it we also like, Lorelai hints later on that he is actually Rory's teacher again, but again, we haven't mm-hmm. seen that. We haven't heard anything about it. You know, uh, just our little yeah. qualms. <laughs> <laughs> Some qualms to be had. <laughs> yeah. Um. The next scene, we're back in town, and Lorelai is telling Suki about the Max stuff. She's wearing the most ridiculous outfit <laughs> She's got, like, a little white beret on, which (laughs) she's never been much of a hat person before, and I just don't understand the choice of this hat. 
I nominated that hat for my Lorelei's closet purely because it was so horrible. (laughs) Yeah. It's like, it it doesn't look good. (laughs) No. And it looks like one of those hats you wear, like, on a tennis cart. Mm -hmm. Not a tennis cart. Like, playing tennis or on a golf cart. Or it's kind of preppy. I kind of think someone Irish would wear it. I don't know if that's stereotyping. (laughs) Um, maybe that's the hats they wear in like Newsies, the musical. Oh yeah, I think so. <laughs> right, and it just hers is like light pink or white or something like that. And yeah, it's color coordinated with the rest of her outfit, and it's just so eye catching. I felt like I had to nominate it because I also didn't like notice much of the other clothes as very like more listening on a plot level. So yeah, goes out to it's the just hat. So for me. weird, <laughs> so strange. Um, but mostly Suki and Lorelai are talking about what it could possibly mean that Max was so chill during the meeting um, and that he had also left early so Lorelai couldn't talk to him, which seemed, I mean, obviously very strategic. We also kind of, it reminded me of the last time they saw each other and he was like, he was saying he didn't need to have the conversation. Lorelai was insisting on a conversation and so maybe mm-hmm. he really just doesn't want to talk to her. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> surprise, surprise. Go figure. You don't want yeah. to talk to the person who left you at the altar. Yes. Yeah, How seriously. could you ever feel that way? <laughs> uh, Suki has some great lines in here. She starts talking about whether the kiss with Max was a complete illusion, um, which I loved. And then Lorelai starts talking, says that she's also technically still with Alex. And Suki gets my Jess ass attack at the end of the conversation by saying, are you sure there really was an Alex? And I, I have that. to I have to also ask that question because he's been gone for many episodes now and supposedly they're still seeing each other. I don't know. Yeah, she says technically I'm still seeing him, but it's intermittent intermittent. And mm-hmm. I'm like, that's such bullshit. Yeah. Like, <laughs> can they just write him off already? It's yeah. so much less convincing. Just tell us to that pretend he he's still around. Yeah, come on. <laughs> yeah, but really this scene doesn't bring that much, I think. to the, It doesn't sway Lorelai in what she's planning to do for the next booster meeting, at least. Moving forward, we're probably midweek at this point or toward the end of the week. When Jess finally goes to school, finally, because he wants to get those prom tickets. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and... He immediately, once he's on the premises, is sent to the principal's office, like, of course. And here he is informed what we were suspecting all along, that the school has policies about attendance. And the cutoff for them is 20 absences, and he has missed 31 days. And when you divide by five, like, 31 might not sound like that much, but, I mean, dividing by five of the school week, that's, Mm -hmm. you know at least six weeks and if he had spread them out like it's just quite a lot Mm -hmm. and he's had nine warning slips they've tried to get him in for meetings with the counselor with the principal it sounds like they really put out an effort and Mm -hmm. just seems like I don't know if he's genuinely surprised by the news that he's not allowed to graduate because he seems to keep saying things like I can make it up like I'm smarter than everyone here. I feel like he might be a bit in denial. Like, mm-hmm. what did he expect? Like, did he really think he could pull this off? Yeah. 
I don't know. Mm-hmm. Like, what did you think of his reaction to this news? I was kind of of two minds of the whole scene. Like, my first initial reaction was the principal was harsh. But then yeah. seeing Jess's reaction, like his denial and his inability to grasp that there might be consequences, <laughs> it made me think that probably the principal was pretty much in the right for how he handled it. Like maybe he could have had softer delivery or something, but at the same time, Jess needed to get the cold hard truth. And I'm a little bit questioning why they hadn't contacted Luke as part of yeah. the like attempt to get him back in school, but Right, like where are these warning slips going? Mm-hmm. Are they going to his locker when he's yeah. not at school? <laughs> are they going home? Because I think like there's one way about this where Jess would be aware that this was happening and he would like intercept them mm-hmm. and take them out of the mailbox before Luke found them. But he seems caught off guard by this news. So I definitely feel like they would have been contacting home, especially yeah. when like the high school is apparently right across the street yeah. <laughs> from Luke Steiner. Are you telling me the principal or a counselor or a teacher wouldn't just walk across the street and be like, yeah. hey, Luke, we need to talk to you like this town doesn't normally have boundaries, so. <laughs> and Luke was called in when Jess was stealing all the softballs or something, right? When he right. first moved to town. So, you, yeah, I think he'd have been called in before. But as for Jess's reaction, I I don't know. I felt like the the only thing that really got to him was the fact that without being able to get prom tickets, he'd have to finally tell somebody mm-hmm. like he'd have to tell Rory why he couldn't get prom tickets and that means he'd have to tell her that he flunked out and that mm-hmm. seemed to be the worst part of it all for him I I also just felt like some of this just stuff is like self-sabotage in a mm-hmm. way and even if he's maybe not fully aware that he's doing that all the time and this is the consequence like this is the ultimate self-sabotage like the consequences of his actions are that he has to repeat a year, which is like a huge thing. And I was just listening to the um, Women of Questionable Morals recent episode about Gilmore Girls and money. And one of the points they made was to compare how Rory was raised to always believe that she could like go to an Ivy League college and all of this future-oriented stuff about higher ed. And meanwhile, just almost certainly wasn't and probably wasn't told about like scholarship or financial aid and all of that stuff so he's kind of like probably been living now like dating Rory seeing her going off to do these big things Mm -hmm. and knowing like he is I don't know if he knows it maybe he knows like he knows he's the smartest person in school right so like I feel like to a certain extent he knows his ability and his like level of intelligence and whatnot Mm -hmm. but feels like he can't you know aim for the same things as her and so the self-sabotage of like well now you definitely can't apply for college if you can't graduate you know like it kind of just fits into that like self-defeated sort of situation of his life that he's been like that's his environment you know yeah yeah that makes sense I don't know it kind of it's disappointing that he doesn't realize that there are other paths until later in his life and like just graduating high school would help him yeah even if he's not going to college but yeah I also wonder if that's part of the reason why 
Like, we know he was working at Walmart full-time and supposedly, like, going to college and everything is often touted as just a reason, like, a way to get you a full-time job and also graduating high school. So he's already got that, even if it's not his dream job. I don't know. Yeah, it's just a lot of, a lot of complicated stuff. And I, I have, like, two of my siblings didn't graduate high school for different reasons, And I think a lot of it also was, it wasn't because they weren't smart enough to you or anything like that. There are other reasons. Mm -hmm. So I think it's just interesting that we get, we get this super smart character who is kind of bogged down by other life events and doesn't, doesn't follow the normal path we see for smart people. I I kind of like that representation, even though it's very hard to watch at the moment. (laughs) I do too. And then another part of me also has to wonder, like, how they are writing an exit Mm -hmm. path for Jess, too, at this point. So it's like, how do we extract Jess from Stars Hollow to get him to another show set in California? And a big, like, blow up of his life is one way for him to leave. So I think that's a component in this as well, just as much as them blowing up Paris's life Mm -hmm. to get her to Yale. It's like they make questionable <laughs> transportation decisions for these yeah. characters. Couldn't they just make a decision on their own accord? <laughs> but that's not as fun <laughs> to watch, I suppose. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm sure I'd be complaining if there wasn't conflict as mm-hmm. well. So <laughs> it is what it is. <laughs> and we get plenty of conflict this episode. So after this, we're at home. Lorelai's getting ready to go to the Booster Club meeting, which we'll come back to because Rory is getting ready for the party. Um, Mm -hmm. I noted this, I think, was the first time we really see Rory in, like, noticeable makeup. I don't know that we've ever seen her wear, like, like, noticeable makeup before, but I noticed Mm -hmm. it. (laughs) Dressed up for the party. Yeah, Lorelai gives her some suggestions of how to get into the most trouble possible, or to not get into the most trouble. (laughs) No dancing on tables and stuff. Um. And, like, put your house key on your belt, wear good shoes, don't eat from communal bowls. Like, a lot of good advice (laughs) here. (laughs) On behalf of Kyle from school, we would like to announce a Mondo party this weekend while Kyle's parents are out of town at Marriage Encounter. While his parents work on their marriage, the teens of Stars Hollow will party. No RSVPs necessary, just show up ready to rock and roll. Kyle and his friend Marshall are gracious, if anxiously bossy, hosts. They are in charge of protecting the valuables, carpets, and surfaces. Expect to use a coaster and pick up your potato chip dust. Come on, people. It's not that hard. Another great thing about this party? Kyle's cousin Rick is 21! Woohoo! Accordingly, he's brought a keg! 21! Because they are so fresh to drinking, Rick and his friends might need some guidance from seasoned partygoers on how to open the keg, however. Patience is appreciated. Last but not least, the most exciting part of Kyle's Mondo party is that it will have live entertainment. The as-of-yet unnamed Stars Hollow band featuring Lane, Dave, Zach, and Brian. It's their first gig, so show up to support them and yell phrases like, Let's rock and roll! as they nervously begin their set. After the band plays their first set, you can expect a huge brawl to break out between two guys fighting over a girl. Typical. They'll probably break the most prized homo figurine, boy with toothache. 
After that, Kyle's parents will definitely never let him have a party again, so you better make it this weekend. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And then we are at the party. My Stars Hollow moment is Kyle and his friend setting up for the party. They're carefully packing away all of the valuables into like bubble wrap and boxes and stuff and getting prepared for something ruckus that hopefully he can mm-hmm. easily clean up clean up after so his parents don't know. <laughs> This was also my Stars Hollow moment. I couldn't, it was hard to find one in the episode. But with that said, I thought like, you know, we don't get other teenagers in Stars Hollow very often. And I thought they really like hit it out of the park (laughs) with Kyle as like a representative Stars Hollow teen. Like he's just such a fun, like kind of like stoner (laughs) boy vibes, but then juxtaposed with his very like, um taking care of the house like he doesn't want anything messed up he wants them to use coasters Mm -hmm. later on and I don't know I find it really entertaining Uh, and he like later on will say watch the carpet when they bring in the keg or use the swim towels to like support the keg not the nice towels it's just very very good (laughs) even though he's holding this illegal party He's respecting his parents' Mm -hmm. house in a way. (laughs) Yeah, he's still responsible. (laughs) And the band is also setting up. Rory and Jess have come early with the band, which Jess is pretty grumpy about. Um, But Rory's excited to be there to just, like, support Lane and everything. And then we get the keg shows up with a newly minted (laughs) 21-year-old. Very excited. Yeah, he's very (laughs) excited about have being able to buy supply beer for teenagers and he kind of comes with a crew of like bros Mm -hmm. or dudes as we could call them they seem a bit like frat guys but from what i know there's not really that many fraternities (laughs) in the area i don't even know what college they would be going to Mm -hmm. maybe they're not college guys at all so i'll just call them like the dudes or the bros but they bring a very bro energy with them. They're shouting keg and 21 and woohoo. And they're bringing the energy to the party, I will say. And later on, they have a fun scene as well. So, like, I kind of like these these mm-hmm. bros. Yeah. You know, they're good guys. Of all the bros. If, even if they are yeah. <laughs> providing alcohol to teens. Yeah, which, like, I know it's not great for me to say, but 
is often the role mm-hmm. of twenty-one-year-olds with younger siblings or and cousins. It's only beer. Yeah, it's 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 a single keg of beer yeah for a like. huge party. It's really not. They're not going to get trashed. Yeah. <laughs> um, no. It's a. It's just a thing that happens, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. We also get young Chu is there, and this is the first real scene of Dave kind of being, not like possessive, but he clearly doesn't want young Chu there anymore. And uh, he seems a little bit jealous. Yeah, I would say he's definitely jealous. He says, I don't want him to stand near the cords and get electrocuted and die when it's kind of like, you kind of mm, do. You sort of do, though. Yeah. <laughs> Cute. Um, and it's, yeah, it's really interesting to see, like, you know, Dave is annoyed in this party. So is Jess. Mm-hmm. And then later on, Dean as well. And like the way that they all handle it, like Dave is the odd one out. In a good mm-hmm. way of like how he handles his frustrations in a relationship. <laughs> yeah, Dave just all around is such a good guy. <laughs> hmm. We continue to get a couple different scenes at the party before like the real conflict goes into play. So as they're waiting for the band to play, Rory and Jess sort of take a lap of the party, see what's going on. And the continued theme is that Jess is moody. And he's not communicating to Rory why he's in a mood. And I think this is like really where so much of the trouble Mm -hmm. will brew from this like misunderstanding between the two of them. Because I think if Rory knew that just found just just found out this horrible news, like I don't think she'd keep asking him to stay at Mm -hmm. the party and all of this other stuff that will only increase his bad mood. And she will she starts to think like it's her or it's something to do with their relationship and it's just such like a I don't know I guess it makes sense that the height of their like relationship problems will stem from this like failure to communicate Mm -hmm. you know (laughs) yeah it's kind of heartbreaking I'll I'll get to my thoughts in a couple scenes (laughs) Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um Jess also taps the keg. <laughs> These 21-year-olds yeah, yeah. don't know how to tap a keg. They don't even know it needs to be done. It was kind of cute. <laughs> it was really cute. <laughs> uh, the band begins to play. Rory has to introduce them, and they still don't have a name, so she kind of just says the and then coughs like to avoid having to say a name, which was pretty good. And... The bell, I mean, the band seems to do well. They agree that they didn't suck when they take their first break. Yeah, they were pretty good. I mean, especially for a house party. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. Pretty good. <laughs> um, After their set is over, Dave kind of leaves Lane coldly, which will start a whole kind of complicated storyline for Lane and Dave. She tries to ask mm-hmm. him what's going up, what's going on, and Dave asks why she hasn't broken up with Young Chu yet. And Lane has to admit that Young Chu is actually in love with her <laughs> and mm-hmm. that it's complicated. She's gonna do it. And then Dave says says that it's too late and walks away. And I'm not entirely sure what he means by that. Like, is he giving up or is it too late like for prom i i don't Mm. think he's giving up on the relationship as we see later on but it was just kind of sad because he has been like they have been doing all sorts of backbending and stuff to try and work on their relationship and lane is 
just like too nice. She doesn't want to do the hard thing of telling him to that it's not going to happen. I feel like the ambiguity of that line is what leads Lane to go drink Mm -hmm. beer later on, you know, because I do think you're right. I feel like it's most likely him talking about the prom and like the timeline of their plan. Like it's gone so off the rails. It's too late for him to like break up with you and then all this stuff. But it could be like, oh, is it too late for us at this point? So it is ambiguous. It is ambiguous. Ambiguous here. (laughs) And throughout all of this like relationship drama, Kyle is saying, um, drop a chip. You pick it up. It's common courtesy, folks. (laughs) Very true. (laughs) I did a lot of multi-part nominations this episode. Um, Mm, But I have part one of three of my Friday night dinner. When when Jess says that he wants to leave and Rory like says she wants to stay. She wants to stay and support Lane. And but really like the, the way that she kind of shuts him up and convinces him to stay is by giving him a kiss. Yeah. And then they stay. And that's that's part one of my Friday night dinner because. So much of their relationship has just been based off of chemistry. And as we've said a million times, like they just don't communicate. They've been holding, keeping secrets from each other for many episodes now. Or like their relationship has caused them to keep secrets from other people in their lives also. Mm-hmm. And this just like fall back on chemistry to solve all their problems will really come to a head in a couple of scenes. And... Yeah, because it doesn't solve yeah, exactly. all the problems. And then it will create more problems shortly. Yeah. Because it's not communication. No, it's just, <sighs> it's avoiding yeah. everything even more. It, mm-hmm. it just uh, makes me sad. <laughs> yeah, I think the unfolding of this conflict does warrant like a multi-part mm-hmm. Friday night dinner because it is just a monster of a thing. <sighs> We also see that Dean and Lindsay are there for God knows why they decide to come and talk to Jess and Rory. I don't see why (laughs) Dean keeps trying to force this when Lindsay also clearly doesn't want to talk with them. Yeah, this was after what I'm going to guess was originally a commercial break, a commercial break because it was a fade to black and it opens on the four of them doing awkward chit chat and you have to wonder like, which one initiated mm-hmm. this? I feel like it was probably Rory or Dean, you know, and it's just very awkward. And they've got Lindsay in like such a pink sweater <laughs> that you have to feel like that's so ASP pinkifying yeah. her, you know, like. <laughs> True. <laughs> yeah, I don't. Is there more to say about yeah, that? Well, or, mm. they kind of they have a conversation about the band and Lindsay explains that she's not really into music or she she names like some kind of popular artists that she listens to, Jess audibly scoffs at her. Um, Very rude. (laughs) And Mm -hmm. then she says that, she says of Jess, like, oh, you go to our school, don't you? I haven't seen you there for a long time. She says you used to go to our school, which is even worse. And Rory's like, what? (laughs) Yeah, which causes Jess to once again evade the whole problem that he's upset and disappear very weird interaction after he disappears we get 
a pretty fun scene <laughs> in the kitchen where Lane has decided to drink beer and she approaches the group of me- of bros talking about what I'm guessing is your <laughs> yes. Rory's bookshelf. Yes. This endeared me to them so much to see them talking about Lord of the Rings. Such so I'm nerds. like, okay, these guys are fun. Yeah. <laughs> I know I've made Lord of the Rings my Rory's bookshelf many times before and I know that there are a few more times that I will make it my Rory's bookshelf. Nothing wrong with that. But you all have to understand how instrumental this, these books were to me <laughs> as a kid <laughs> and the movies as well. I mean, I moved to New Zealand for six months because the movies were filmed there. So I was mm-hmm. committed. <laughs> they talk about that great scene. They're talking specifically just about the two towers. And they talk about that scene where get like they're fighting off the wargs and... Gimli's riding up with a horse. Legolas has just been shooting his arrow. He grabs onto the reins and like does a flippy thing and <laughs> ends up on the horse in front of Gimli. Great stunts. And then they end the <laughs> conversation talking about the the Ents attack on Isengard, <laughs> which was also mm-hmm. a cinematic marvel. Um, yeah, I would probably, if I were at this party, be involved in this conversation. <laughs> if I was talking to anybody at all. I'd be in this conversation. Yeah, definitely. And they help Lane get her beer, foam or no foam. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And from that pleasant scene, we then get to the dreaded scene between Jess and Rory upstairs in a bedroom at the party, which is sort of the like, I feel like this scene is the scene that, you know, hangs heavy above the head of anyone who... Claims to be a Jess fan or a fan of Jess and Rory. I know this has come up before when I've made TikToks about Mm -hmm. Jess and Rory or just Jess. And I've um, had to acknowledge Jess's actions then in the comments. And so I'm glad that we can like go on record critiquing his behavior in the scene here. Um, So and I guess as a a warning that there there will be a discussion of sexual assault in Mm -hmm. this scene. So, is this the second part of your Friday night dinner? Yes, it is. <laughs> yeah, I don't know why I have to ask, but... <laughs> yeah, because Rory finds him and he she asks him, you know, what's wrong? What's been going on? And instead of answering, he kisses her, once again using their physical chemistry to completely avoid having any conversation. And then... They kind of transition into making out on the bed. Rory, as they're making out, is already saying, like, wait, wait. And he is, Mm -hmm. he's going far. He starts to, like, unbutton her pants and stuff. And then she hops up and is like, no, we're not doing this now. Did you really think that this would happen this way? And Jess is just, like, upset. And he definitely reads it's complicated because we know as the audience that he's upset about a lot of things but it reads in the scene that he's upset that rory turned him down or didn't want to continue Mm -hmm. with uh having sex and that's how rory sees it also she asks like what did i do wrong and then she runs out um of the room crying so it's a very hard scene to to see and the mm-hmm. part three of my Friday night dinner is just the fact that Jess backs off 
from this interaction and doesn't explain again what's going on. He just allows her to feel this way. He does chase after her, of course, but he's still not, he's not saying what's really happening. He's not trying to like say, no, no, don't worry. It's not because of this. It's something else. So he's really just leaving, leaving it all in her mind and in, I mean, it's also obviously how it looks for us that he's mad at her for not wanting to have sex with him. (sighs) I know because he lashes out and says, I didn't invite you up Mm -hmm. here. You came up here on your own, which is very much blaming the person who doesn't want to have sex. Yeah, Yeah, pretty much. Right. And (sighs) yeah, it's, it's difficult because it is so disappointing Mm -hmm. I feel like to say the very least of like this is really the end for them it won't be the very last thing for them but like it just makes you wonder as well like did the writers like think of this as sexual assaults Mm -hmm. themselves or did they think of it more as like a little as like a misunderstanding over sex I just wonder about like the the 2003 of it all and if the writers intended for this to be like to come off as bad as it comes off like when we watch it now in 2023 where I think like the generation below us is also like even more heightened to recognize this like total lack of consent and violation here yeah I want to make my other 10 things I hate about you reference to this scene Mm. to prove that it wasn't like people at the time, 10 things I hate about you came out in like 99, I think. So it was Mm -hmm. before this. And even in that Heath Ledger's character refuses to kiss Kat in the car because she's drunk. So the, the topics of consent and like just the, the understanding of how consent should work and can work was definitely in the zeitgeist. So it's like, we can't fully blame this scene on the times, you know, even though that's tempting because we want, like, I obviously love Jess. I want to like him, but yeah, we can't just blame it. We can't just disregard the fact that the writers chose to have him continue trying to, like, unbuckle her pants and stuff after she was saying wait wait like that's Mm -hmm. I think you know clear clear (laughs) non-consent yeah totally and she has to like push him Mm -hmm. off of her and luckily he doesn't like physically resist her pushing him off but even the fact that it has to go there is totally unacceptable it's also just like as parts one and two of my Friday night dinner demonstrate, like the only way that Jess and Rory are dealing with things is physically. And here we see Jess attempting to deal with all of the like warring emotions inside of himself through something physical, which happens again mm-hmm. just in a couple of minutes when he and Dean fight throughout the entire yeah. house. Like he's everything about what's going on in his life. He can't verbalize. He can't like actually talk about the emotions so he's just trying to do something Mm -hmm. physical whatever whatever it is kind of disregarding the people 
who are impacted and like who are party to the physical acts <laughs> i guess yeah that because i feel like what sets him off and in initiating sex is when she's asking him what's wrong mm-hmm. and they're like to follow their kind of method to like then go have sex would be like maybe the ultimate thing to make him feel right like at that moment like um oh the thing that you've been waiting for in this relationship and then when she asks him like what's wrong with you after that's like I think sets him off again and that's really when he lashes out and like blames her and whatnot and she will like then run away crying and then the like ultimate like he's in the relationship with Dean like that's what he's always wanted to do as well like maybe finally I'll feel right if I can just like fight Dean and like get all my emotions out physically that way like it's starting to make sense to me I guess why it unfolds this way because one of the questions I did have beyond like the critique of it is like why have just do this at all to begin with like why write this storyline does it make sense for the character to do this in this moment? I think we could go, not just us, but like we could go back and forth about like, does it fit his characterization and whatnot? Because that could be one defense of Jess is like, oh, but the writers just made him do that. Like, I don't think he would really do that. But as we've been analyzing it, the way that it like fits, you know, their relationship as well as his with Dean later on, like, It's not exactly coming out of Mm -hmm. nowhere, you know? Yeah, he's also, like, prone to trying to do big gestures to fix things. Like, Mm. after the, in the episode when Rory was upset with him for not making plans with her. So maybe he's, he's, like, seeing this also as a potential big gesture. And then we also know that he's been really insecure about why Rory picked him over Dean Yeah, and it's such, like, a convention, I feel like, too, of, like, being upstairs Mm -hmm. at a party, like, in a bedroom, too. Like, the setting of this is just also so suggestive Mm -hmm. of, like, what would happen, like, to enter that space at all, which he'll throw back at her after it happens. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. (sighs) Well, to, like, continue on, if this isn't bad enough, like, Rory runs out crying she's like tearful and runs into dean on the stairs he asks her are you okay she sort of says like yes and no she can't really talk too much and jess has chased after her but the second he sees dean comforting her he just like sighs and push pushes past them and says like of course or something like that like we can't really know if he was going to go fully explain himself or apologize because he instantly just goes into like antagonistic mode once more when he sees the Roy and Dean interaction and that like the um, the lack of self-confidence about her choosing him over Dean rears its ugly head again here. And I guess at that point, Dean like just uses the pretense of Rory crying to assume what happened and it's it's weird because it's like we know what happened and that's kind of what Dean suspects happens but he does Dean doesn't Mm. know what happened really so like she could have been crying for a number of reasons where it wouldn't have been appropriate for him to go punch (laughs) Jess but like 
it's almost ironic that he's actually punching him for what happened, but it adds in the weird, like, he's being defensive of Rory, his ex-girlfriend and whatnot. Yeah. But this huge fight ensues that I feel like we've been waiting for, in a sense, or suspecting would happen, like, this whole season, if not last season. What are your thoughts about this brawl? It was amazingly <laughs> choreographed and shot. <laughs> I agree. Like, they move through every single room in the house. At one point, Dave, which we'll get back to Lane in just a minute, but mm-hmm. Dave is, like, trying to confront Young Chu in a very calm and cool manner. <laughs> and then Dean and Jess, like, barrel through a doorway, knocking Dave into Young Chu, which then, like, makes Young Chu angry. <laughs> and then um, mm-hmm. they move throughout the whole house and then end up being kind of tossed or, like, funneled out of the front door <laughs> onto the yeah. lawn. All of the friendly bros are just trying to, like, separate them, (laughs) get them away. They, like, push them outside. It's like, they just want to talk about Lord of the Rings, man. And this, they're, like, ruining it. (laughs) It was a, it was a, I mean, I obviously didn't want the fight to happen, but it was a really well shot fight. Mm -hmm. But it was kind of, I had the feeling that Dean had been waiting for a reason to fight Jess. And Jess, as I was saying earlier, was waiting for some sort of physical way to, like, let off the steam of all of his emotions and everything. I'm kind Mm -hmm. of... Did we get any shot of Lindsay during the whole fight? I don't think I noticed one, but... No, which was really interesting because, if I recall, Lindsay and Dean are on the stairs when Rory goes up, but then when Rory comes down, Lindsay is not there. So... I, it does make you wonder, like, where did she go? Did she go home early? Was she still there? Because I think it would have added a nice other yeah. element. As if it wasn't, you know, complicated enough, but it would have added another element to the controversy here for for Lindsay to witness, like, how passionately yeah. <laughs> her boyfriend is fighting someone over his ex. Like, yeah, wow, messy. And they make a mess. Do you think it was, like, the actors or like stunt doubles. I don't know I was actually because they were like really yeah. good like the fight looks so real I thought I kind of want to say it was actually the actors just because I know like Jared Pedelecki he does a lot like I think he does most of his own stuff in Supernatural mm. um but I don't I don't know for sure I'm never really I'm not good I at wonder telling. if they had beef in real yeah, life maybe. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder how long they practiced the fight <laughs> Yeah, because it would be a real, like, safety hazard yeah. if they didn't practice this, I feel like. Because they're doing a lot of, like, crashing into yeah. furniture like serious wrestling on the well. ground and stuff. Yeah, I do have to say, like, it is a good fight for for all that we've had to, like, suffer through mm-hmm. the drama of a love triangle and whatever. This is a pretty good payoff. Like, this isn't just a couple punches and then they're pulled apart. This is, like, a massive fight. <laughs> And, yeah, and then the cops come, you know? Like, it's serious. Drop your cups and head out. (laughs) Yeah. Cops back in the 2000s breaking up a teen party, I imagine, are quite different than cops in 2023 breaking up a teen party. Yeah, or at least this is how it goes in Stars Hollow. Yeah. (laughs) And after all of this, after the cops have broken everything up, we get a moment of Jess and Rory staring at each other, And it's kind of prolonged. You can see, like, 
trouble brewing in Jess's face again, but he does not go up and talk to Rory, even though she's called out for him. He doesn't go and confront everything. He just walks away into the darkness. Yeah, I thought that, and it's the ending shot of the episode as well, and it felt very symbolic of him. The camera just lingers Mm -hmm. on him walking alone away into like the dark distance, and it's very symbolic of like how isolated he's become and how he will leave like without a word really like he's doing now and whatnot Mm -hmm. so a lot foreshadowing with that closing scene what a rough party oh and oh and my last thought about the fight is I do think it was interesting that Dean was the first one to throw the punch after all this time because it was really like touch and go of like Will Jess fight him? Will Dean fight him? Rory thinks Dean would never do that, but she's right there to see it is ultimately Dean who will throw the punch. And it was before her very eyes. She can't claim like she did many times ago, like, oh, you fought him, you fought him. But it was Dean to throw the first punch in the end. It was pretty annoying that this came down to a storyline of Dean being the savior of Rory's purity (laughs) like yeah he is protecting her virtue against Jess this interloper and villain it is annoying and that's why I pointed out like although he kind of is protecting her virtue ish within the storyline for all he knows Mm -hmm. he could that that could just be a cover story for him like he Yeah. yeah so it is annoying for Dean to like be Dean in this way. <laughs> Should we finish up the party by talking about the Lane stuff really quick? Yeah. So the other significant storyline to catch up with is Lane and Dave. And the last we had mentioned, Lane was drinking beer. And of course, it doesn't take Lane much more than a beer and a half to be absolutely <laughs> wasted, which maybe earlier we said it's not a big deal that they brought a keg of alcohol but maybe we should keep in mind some you know teenagers (laughs) are like lane so noted there (laughs) and she decides to drunkenly call mrs kim which is something that we've kind of mentioned in the past like trying to remember how this all happens and this is a like incredibly humorous call like i really want to applaud um her, like, drunk acting, it felt very real. Yeah, it was great. <laughs> she, like, tells her mom that she has had be- had one and a half beers, and she's also drumming in a band, and she's also in love with Dave Rogowski. And <laughs> as she's saying this, Dave walks up behind her, realizes what's happening, and quickly hangs up the phone. <laughs> A little too yeah. late, but I appreciate the sentiment. Yeah. And he he seems almost more, like, he's upset that she has told her mom all this after all the work that they've done, but he also is kind of upset that she's drunk, asking her if she's going to be able to play for the rest of the set. Mm-hmm. And I just kind of liked that, I don't know, to praise Dave again, he's like, he's he knows that they're going to have this conversation later. Like he's not letting the mm-hmm. com- the conversation go about Lane telling her mom all this, but he's more worried about the immediate effects. <laughs> like he, he is fine <laughs> with tabling a hard conversation 
to deal with the the mm-hmm. present <laughs> and that like their their relationship isn't only like romantic but it's also mm-hmm. not quite professional but you know musician like as band members he's annoyed like on that level like you have a responsibility as a band member to be able to perform so you're letting me down in that way and then also I'm disappointed in the romantic way like that this is how your mom would find out about us is through like a drunken confession and so on and that just quickly reminded me of like um Midge and Lenny and Maisel last season so spoiler for like last season where he she's saying essentially like if we go through with having sex like I need you to promise you'll still take me seriously as Mm -hmm. a comedian and he's like oh I promise and I think he stays true to that throughout the whole series and um yeah I just feel like Dave takes her seriously on a musician level and that could have been a stretch but I just had Maisel on the mind from finishing that was also like one of the sexiest scenes in tv for a long time i think that like interaction yeah, between them yeah agreed well worth the wait for those two but uh we can't get too mm-hmm. off track with that because we could go on for a while so back to lane and dave i think the next thing within their storyline is that whole dave approaching mm-hmm. young chu as you briefly mentioned he attempts to be very civil young chu like kind of startles away from him and he's like no i just want to talk and then <laughs> ironically they get shoved into each other um and it all ends with lane puking in the bushes which makes a whole lot of sense i think (laughs) yep (laughs) so we'll see how it goes for the two of them next episode but it got a little messy for them (laughs) yeah i vaguely remember how mrs kim reacts to all of it i'm excited to talk about that (laughs) yeah i'm excited as well at this point we have covered the whole party right so We can return to the Booster Club storyline with Lorelai and her relationship drama as well. And then I think we'll have covered the episode. Mm -hmm. We have one quick scene left at the inn. Oh, right, right, right. And we get my the second part of my gazebo moment for Michelle being stressed out about having to like run home and see his dog so that they get socialized. And I do you want to mention mm-hmm. from all the TikToks that I watch about dog training? I think Chow Chows are mm-hmm. like some of the, they can be some of the most aggressive dogs if they're not socialized well. So good on Michelle for taking his dog parenting very seriously. Yeah. We also then, to help Michelle out, Lorelai says that she'll go around and do turndown service, which is something I've never experienced before. I think it must be like a fancy boutique <laughs> hotel experience. <laughs> Right. And this felt like a bit of a stretch Mm -hmm. as well. So earlier in the episode, Lorelai had mentioned to Luke, hey, you can stay at the inn on Friday because you and Nicole have to wake up early to go skiing and she can't stay at your place because of Jess. So she's like, you can stay at the inn. And then surprise, surprise, in this scene, she's doing turn down service. And for what room? But the room with Luke and Nicole in it, of course. And she's very awkward about giving them the towels uh trying to start a fire and failing for them I thought that was a bit too soon after yeah, they had a fire <laughs> and uh she awkwardly wants to you know get the covers down for them give them mints and like say you know you can do whatever now that the bed is turned down and 
the whole time Luke and Nicole are kind of saying like you can just leave the stuff like you can go you don't have to do this but she really awkwardly goes about the whole thing and seems genuinely surprised that they're there like she probably forgot that she offered that like it definitely doesn't seem like something she wanted and it seemed just like a bit of a heavy-handed way to just keep our minds on the whole like awkwardness of Luke and Nicole Mm -hmm. with the whole Lorelai of it all um but I will add that Nicole was looking super cute with like a half up half down and like bangs and she was in like a comfy robe like I thought she looked nice (laughs) she also handled Lorelai's interruption very well I think for somebody who has like suspicions about Lorelai she didn't let on anything she's very cool about it Mm-hmm. So after this weird scene, we go to the booster club meeting again, and Lorelai arrives late. Doug is no longer there, so it's just her and the regular booster club ladies. Max is not there. Um, so the discussion is about the yacht end of year party thing for the seniors, which seems, I guess, like a rich person thing to do. Mm-hmm. This just had me thinking about the yacht later on with Logan oh, yeah. and Murray. I'm like, nothing good happens with no. yachts in this show. So, <laughs> um, Paris shows up. She has, is very anti-yacht for, I think, very good reasons. She's yeah. like talking about the safety of yachts. Um, she also how teens will like throw yeah. up with flasks <laughs> that they bring in. If it's boring, you can't leave the ship. Yeah. And she gives some alternatives. So she's done all of her research, of course, and she has alternatives for them to look at. They completely ignore everything she says, which, yeah, I I agree with Paris. No yachts for teen parties, please. (laughs) This scene worked for me. Like, they clearly just wanted to bring Mm -hmm. Paris in the episode, but I felt like they kept it so short and quick and it totally seemed like something Paris yeah. would do, like get involved with the parents of the like the booster club. And so I liked yeah, it. Yeah, <laughs> I agree. Um, Lorelai gets a little bit worried that Max isn't there. Uh, the other faculty person comes in. And so Lorelai decides she needs to go and find Max, which she does fairly easily after walking all over the freshly swept floor that the janitor is cleaning. <laughs> And she goes into his office, and he seems genuinely surprised that she's there. He's, like, writing papers or something. I'm surprised he's there, too, though. Yeah. Like, why is he working yeah, so Yeah, why late? not? I'm like, <laughs> if you have to do it, take it home. And if he truly did want to avoid yeah. her, why not Yeah, go home? so maybe it was, like, a sub subconscious, maybe she'll come kind mm-hmm. of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but she's asking him, like, why he's avoiding her, and... They go back and forth about how they were only acting cool because the other person was acting cool and blah, blah, blah. And um, Max really says that he was just trying to be respectful of Lorelai, which I thought was great. A good explanation. Lorelai doesn't like that, though. She asks him a weird question about whether he's also kissed the other woman in the booster club. It was just weird. (laughs) Max also says that he was seeing somebody when he was in California for a little while as kind of a, I don't know why he's really saying it, kind of like an excuse or like a reason why he doesn't want to be around Lorelai, but he's also kind of citing Lorelai's a reason why they didn't work out, 
but also because he moved away mm-hmm. from California. I don't know. He was very confused during mm-hmm. all of this, as was Lorelai. Yeah. He was keeping furniture between them. It was a very funny scene. <laughs> Ten feet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I like that he says um, she had her shot. Mm-hmm. Like, you could have had all this, but, you know, yeah. <laughs> you left us behind and um, that they need to stay apart and that, yeah, that they're supposed to, they should just avoid each other. And he's really, like, pretty much running away from her physically <laughs> and then outlines, like, that's what they should do moving forward is, like, we should stay away from each other. And Lorelai takes a while to accept this, but then eventually kind of accepts it I guess and he says like well this could be goodbye forever once I walk out that door and he does (laughs) and then they run into each other two seconds later because they both had to go the same direction but I think it's safe to say this is the last we will see of Max Medina so long farewell I did want to know at one point Lorelai said something that made it sound like it was a mutual breakup Which is obviously not the case. And it's still like... A rewriting of the truth. We still have no idea how or why she broke up with... I mean, I guess we know why, but we don't know how it happened. So I guess that's the closure she was hoping for. Yeah. Yeah, it is probably. Yeah. Well... We made it through. Dramatic, uh, juicy episode. (laughs) To use use that adjective again. Prickly. (laughs) A prickly, juicy pear. (laughs) Who was your MVP for this episode? My MVP has to go to Kyle. (laughs) Um, Just, you know, because of the positive things that we said before, I think. What a fun character. Mm -hmm. What a responsible party thrower. I feel so bad that the homo figurine did break in the end, but I think he did everything he could to protect that. He couldn't have known the links that Dean and Jess would go to in that mm-hmm. fight to just trash his whole home. And I think we'll see him again briefly later <laughs> on at a bachelor party or something. I don't know. But he just brought good vibes mm-hmm. to a, an episode that needed them. Yeah. <laughs> How about you and your MVP? I think my MVP for this episode is going to be Dave. Because I just like how he is handling everything as we said before he's kind of like a flawless character (laughs) which would probably be a problem if he stuck around more um but since he's about to disappear from our screens it's fine so Mm -hmm. yeah what a rough rough episode especially for my fave jess it's difficult but we will persevere through to our next recap indeed we're getting close to the end of the season I know, can't I can't believe, believe it. it. Going to be in season four soon, the Yale years. <laughs> yeah, I can't wait for the graduation. I like a good graduation episode. Yeah, agreed. <laughs> Makes me emotional. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay, well, well, talk soon. Talk soon. Thanks for listening to Talking Fast, a Gilmore Girls podcast. Don't forget to rate and review us and share us with your friends. Join us on Instagram and TikTok at Talking Fast Podcast. And join the conversation by emailing us your thoughts, talkingfastpodcast at gmail.com.